0: Hey, this is Shane Ballenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. We're in the second week of our series called Storytime. And um, uh, this time of year, when when the weather gets cold like it is, Maybe it's raining or even snowing, right? We, we may get snow this week, but probably will turn into rain, like it always does. And um, <laughs> there are there are few things that are more enjoyable this time of year than going home. If you've got a fireplace, right? Setting a fire in your fireplace, uh, getting a hot cup of coffee or tea, if you're weird, and uh, and reading a book or watching a movie, or better yet, watching football. And it's like the best, right? Like, but football doesn't go with a the storytime theme, so I can't use that. Um, but there's few things that are better than doing that, in my opinion. I don't know if, if you feel the same way or not, but when it's really cold outside, it's like, man, I just want to go home, light a fire get some coffee, sit on the couch with, with my family, watch a movie, whatever it may be. It's great. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And Jesus, he would often tell stories and messages, uh, stories to get a certain message across in the Bible. He understood the importance of stories. And these stories, as we talked about last week, are called parables, which you probably already know. But if you don't, anytime that something is, is talked about in the Bible as a parable, it's a story. It's a, it's, it's a story that isn't true. But it's a fictional story that Jesus told to get a message across. And when people would ask him questions, he would either respond with a question or challenge them with something. And then his response would often include a story as well in that process. So this month, we're, we're focusing on four of those stories that he told that, that are called parables. There's many more parables in the Bible than the four that we're going to, going to touch on this month. Um, But last week, we started off by talking about the parable of the marriage feast, and we learned that we all have an invitation to to join God's kingdom, to join God's celebration. Every one of us have an invitation, and we all respond in different ways, whether you realize it or not. And we want to take that response seriously and respond to God's invitation in the right way. So today, we're talking about a story that many people reference, whether or not you are a follower of Jesus— whether, whether you know the Bible or not, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, the, the story that we're going to talk about today, I feel like just about everybody knows, and maybe you don't always know exactly where, where this comes from or anything like that, but it comes from the Bible, and it's, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, we, we talk about the Good Samaritan often. We have uh, hospitals named after the Good Samaritan. We, we have churches, charities, and more that are all, that are all named after the story. And when we see someone... Who steps up and we see someone who does something nice for someone else, we, we call them a Good Samaritan. Oh my God, what a, what a Good Samaritan. They saw somebody who was down on the side of the road and they stopped and they helped. They're, they're, they're a Good Samaritan. So, what we're going to do is we're going to gather around and we're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan, which is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And uh, we, we did this last week. I got my rocking chair up here because it's story time, right? So, so we're going to read a story together. So I'm going sit to sit in my rocking chair. And this isn't going to be up on the screen because you have to use your listening skills, okay? Um, I, that's what I tell my kids all the time when I try to read them stories at night. It's like we have to listen, stop running around, and we're going to focus, right? So here's a parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. It says this. On one occasion... So he asked Jesus, Well, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said this, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So we see this story here, and I don't know how familiar you are with Samaritans in the Bible. Like, if you don't know much about the Bible, this may not mean a whole lot to you. But a Samaritan in the Bible, nowhere throughout Scripture do we ever see the words, Good and Samaritan together. That's not anywhere in the Bible because the Jewish people never thought that that was ever the case. A Good Samaritan was like an oxymoron at this time. There's no no such thing. The concept of a Good Samaritan would have been a contradiction to everything that the Jewish community believed. And in Jesus's time, the, the Judean people, they, they were so prejudiced against Samaritans they, That they couldn't stand them They literally wanted them dead They wanted nothing to do with them Nothing at all So for, for Jesus to bring up a Samaritan is very significant why, and So why did they feel this way towards, towards the Samaritans? Why did they hate them? So very much. I mean, there had been hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans for hundreds of years at this point when Jesus shared this, this story. In the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, a little bit of history, which is important. So if you don't like history, suck it up and listen, okay? But it's important to the story. We have to know context. We've got to know what's going on. And in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, which is God's chosen people, uh, the, the, the Old Testament is a story of the nation of Israel. And they were one nation. And then eventually they split into two nations, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. And eventually the Northern Kingdom, they, they were defeated by the nation of Assyria in 722 BC. So one nation, they have a split, they divide, they don't really like each other that much, they kind of get in some fights, but they're, they, they just decide to go, we're gonna go our separate ways. You do your stuff, we'll do our stuff, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. Then the Northern Kingdom, all of a sudden, the nation of Assyria comes along, conquers them. And anytime that, a, that one nation conquered another, it was obviously bad news. But they wouldn't just say, okay, you're now defeated. They would literally take them captive. They would brainwash them. They would murder you know, anybody that, that, that was left behind because they did not want that nation to, to survive, to regroup, and then come back and attack them again. So if you defeated another nation, it was bad news. So the nation of the, the northern kingdom is defeated. And because of this, Exiles from many nations settled in Samaria, which was in the northern kingdom of Israel. And they created this melting pot of people. Because the northern kingdom defeated. Now Samaria is, is kind of available. And other people who are kind of like wanderers and like people from different nations who just needed to get away for whatever reason, they end up settling in the city of Samaria. And Samaria now is no longer purely Jewish. There's multiple cultures that are there. Now if we move forward to 586 B.C., we see the southern kingdom. Now they fall to the nation of Babylon. Again, bad news. Not, not a good situation. The southern kingdom then finds themselves in exile for 70 years. And the few Jewish people who are left behind, which like I said is normally not very many, but there were a few that were left behind, uh, they, they, they go to Samaria and they begin to intermarry with the Gentiles who are there. So Gentiles is anybody who is not Jewish. So now all of a sudden, not only is Samaria filled with different cultures, now the Jewish people who are there begin to intermarry with the other cultures, which at that time is a big, big no-no. That is not something that, that the Israelites would do. So when the Jewish people then, who were in exile in Babylon, eventually return. And if you know about the story of Nehemiah, and we talked about that in Ezra not that long ago, they come back and they return eventually after 70 years and they want to rebuild their home. They, they return back home. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans because they were viewed as a perverted race. That's how they looked at them. They were a mixed culture. They were mixed race. And for the Jewish community, nope, we do not. We do not go down that road. So this is a huge deal. Not only did the Samaritans mix their bloodline by marrying Gentiles, they also perverted the Jewish religion. So now they're bringing in other religions that were not following God, they were pagan religions, and they would take a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, a little bit there. It was just a giant melting pot. So the Jewish community... Who, who viewed this as a huge deal, as a sin, they, they, they were like, we have nothing to do with them. And then when they came back home from exile in, in Babylon, then the Samaritans were like, hey, we'll help. Hey, look, we're, we're, we're part of the Jewish community. We have Jewish ancestry. And they're like, nope, absolutely not. We will not intermingle with you. They were like kept away at arm's length at all times. If they were like relatives, they wouldn't speak to them just completely cut off from everything in the Jewish community. So they had this, this hatred towards them. So back to our story. An expert of the law asked Jesus a good question. A question that I think a lot of us have asked before. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's an that's a, that's a important question. But most of the time when we ask that question, we're just trying to find the bare minimum. How do I just make it? How do I get a C average, which was my strategy in school? How do I just barely get by? What do I need to do? That's, that's really what they're asking. And uh, Jesus, as he often did, he responded with a question. Well, what does the law say? And he knew that the expert in the law, remember he's an expert in the law, would know the answer to this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what does the law say? And he answers correctly. He he gives the right answer, which sets up the entire parable. Here's why. Here's what we really need to understand. Knowing the Bible is not the same as living the Bible. This is huge. Look, it's great if you know the Bible. I hope that you do. It's not the same as living the Bible. You can know it all you want. You can have all of the answers. That's great. I hope that you do that. But if you're not living out what the Bible says, it's meaningless. Completely pointless. Because it says, uh, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the expert in the law wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify the way that he had been living. So he asked, okay, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because he knows. He knows that he is not treating everybody the way that he should. Maybe other Pharisees, maybe other experts in the law, maybe people that he likes, he's treating the right way, but he's not treating everybody the right way. And so he says, Jesus, okay, who's my neighbor then? The, see, the Pharisee and the religious leaders, they knew their stuff, but they just didn't get it. And, and the truth is this, the Pharisees, they, know, they knew The Old Testament better than I know the Old Testament, that's for sure. Do you know how I know that? Because they literally memorized it. They memorized it. That was part of their training. That was part of how, because they didn't have just like, the copies of the Bible just floating around everywhere. So they would have to memorize it so that it was up here. So they knew it. They knew it extremely well, but they didn't get it. And I'm confident that most of us in here would be able to give the correct answer Two questions that we may bring up in life. If certain things come along, I feel like most of us will be able to give the right answer. So what? Like that's great. We can all give the Sunday School answer. We can all answer things correctly. We often know what the right thing to say is. So what? That's great and all, but it's not everything. See, knowledge doesn't mean anything if you don't do anything with it. It means absolutely nothing. See, I, I know, I know that McDonald's is bad for me. I still eat a Big Mac, right? Maybe you don't, but like I'm aware. I, will, I could sit there in my car and there's nothing more, more shameful than like sitting in your car with a Big Mac and like the special sauce like coming out of your mouth. And you're just like, this is so bad but so good, right? Like you know it. You have the knowledge. Like we're aware at this point. You know, maybe like years ago when, when we didn't fully realize that smoke was bad for us, right? Now we, we know it. like, And we know this bad for us, but some of us still do it. We have the knowledge, but just because you have the knowledge doesn't mean that you apply the knowledge. There's a huge chasm between the two for some of us. And some of us are okay with that. I remember when I was a teenager, there was, there was a, 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 another teen who was in um, the youth group, and on Sunday mornings we would go to, you know, I don't know if it was called Sunday school at that point, but it was basically Sunday school, and like, it was like the teens would gather together on a Sunday, we he would go through things, and he knew all, absolutely all of the Bible answers to give, and he would answer them. So like the teacher would say things or, or would try to communicate things, and he would always raise his hand. He would say the right things. He knew everything, but I knew him, and I knew him outside of church. And I was like, I don't think that this means anything to him. Like by the way that he's living his life. So eventually he goes on to, and this is not a lie, he goes on to become a drug dealer, a stripper, then went into witness protection, then was arrested in jail, and has been in jail. That's what he went on to do, and he could give every single answer that anybody could ask. He was, he was like the prize kid in the class, but even the teachers kind of knew this is an Eddie Haskell situation, and only the old people know that reference, which is okay with me. <laughs> but <laughs> Eddie Haskell's from Leave it to Beaver, he would, he would act like he was a really good kid in front of the parents, but then when the parents were gone, he was the worst of all of them. Okay, that's what Eddie Haskell is. Um, so there you go for the teens in the, in the, in the room. Um, but that was what he was. But he's not the only one. You and I are the same. You and I can communicate everything that needs to be communicated. But if you don't live it out the way that the Bible tells us to live it out, it is meaningless. And the Pharisees were the kings of this. This is what they're really known for there, was, there were few people more hypocritical than the Pharisees They would go about everything this way They could outsmart just about everyone Prior to Jesus coming Because they, they were educated They knew things like they, they knew their stuff And they could debate you to death They could give you scripture and facts And they could twist things to justify The way that they would go about things And they, they would bully people They were, they were the worst and then Jesus comes along. And these people were the only ones that Jesus would constantly call out. He would literally call them names. I mean, there, were, there was like a woman who was caught in adultery who was brought before Jesus, and he had sympathy on her. But the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, wanted nothing to do with most of them. Now, there were a few, like Nicodemus, who would come along and would ask some questions, and and if they had the right heart and the right motive and those sort of things. But most of the Pharisees would come along to Jesus, and they wouldn't be asking with the right motive in mind, or the right heart in mind. As it says here, they would try to justify what they were already doing. And if you are trying to justify the way that you're living, instead of allowing Scripture to determine the way that you live, then you're going about it backwards. If you look at things and you're like, okay, How can I twist this to make what I'm already doing acceptable? Then you've missed it. You've missed the point. That's not not what any of this is about. So I hope that you know the Bible. But more important than that, I hope that you live the Bible. I hope that you apply it in your lives. And it's one thing to know who Jesus is. It's another thing to allow him to change and mold your heart. And that is what was always missing for the Pharisees and the experts of the law. They were, they were, they, they were proud. They would look down on other people and they would think, well, I've got it all together. I know the answers. And Jesus understands that this expert truly doesn't get it. So in the story, we're introduced to four, four people, that's three, four people in this story. The first one is the poor traveler. So this traveler. He had taken the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which to you and I may not mean a whole lot. To the audience that he was speaking to at the time, meant a great deal. Because going from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a notoriously dangerous trip. It was about, uh, it, it, it descended nearly 3,300 feet in 17 miles. So the terrain was already difficult to go from uh, Jerusalem to, to Jericho. And then it had narrow passageways, in addition to, to the steep uh, decline or incline, depending on which way you were going, it had narrow passageways, and the terrain offered easy hiding for robbers and for bandits. So there was like a lot of rocks or like big things that people could hide behind that you wouldn't see them coming, and then all of a sudden you would pass it and they would pop out, they would grab you, they would rob you, they would do a bunch of different things. So. Jesus' audience understood that this trip is a dangerous trip that the traveler took. But when it starts off, he just says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's like, oh, okay. No, that, that's significant. That would be like a man was walking in West Baltimore at night. That's like what it would be. Where you and I would know, that's dangerous. That's, he's, he's, he needs to be careful if you're doing that. It's not necessarily where you want to find yourself. And that was what was happening. Here with, uh, with, with, with this audience they, He's basically telling you If you get mugged It's not really a shock It's not really that big of a surprise But the good news for the traveler After he was mugged Good news A priest shows up Right If anyone If anyone would stop It would be the pastor Right Wrong Not only does the pastor not stop to help he crosses on the other side of the street and just kind of turns a blind eye, right? Just kind of looks away and acts like, nothing to see here. I'm just going to keep going about my, my merry way. He avoids him entirely, turns a blind eye to him, because if I don't see it, then it doesn't exist, right? If there's a problem in the world, and if I don't see it, and if I'm just ignorant about it, then it's not my problem. I don't have to do anything. I can just kind of, oh, plead, I can plead the fifth. I didn't know. I didn't know that there was this issue over here. I was on the other side of the road. I, I didn't know. I, you can't blame me. That's what the, the priest is trying to do. And it's worth noting that if a priest were to come across a dead body at this time, then he would have a responsibility to bury it. So he sees this Body and not knowing if this is a living person or not. And he's like, oh gosh, I really don't feel like having to bury a body right now. So I'm gonna cross the other side of the street and just act like I didn't encounter it. That was that was part of the custom at the time. So it goes to the other side of the street. Next, we see a Levite. In other words, like an assistant priest is who a Levite was, for, for lack, of, lack of a better term. And he does the same thing as the priest. I wonder where he learned it from, right? Same thing. Crosses to the other side. Not my problem. I've got other things to do. Because sometimes we think what I'm doing is more important than actually helping anybody in need. What I'm doing is more important than this person who's struggling over here. So I'm, I'm just going to get going. It's sorry, but I don't... I don't I don't have the time. And then finally we meet the Samaritan, a hated people to the Jews. A hated people. And this is the person that Jesus picks to save the day. Because remember this is a fictional story. This, this is the person that Jesus picks. This is the person that Jesus points to. Obviously this story is touching on the fact that we should help those in need. We need to recognize that. We have a responsibility as the church to do what we can to help people in need. But that isn't the main point of this story. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't help people, but the point of this story is not necessarily to stop and help people. If that, if that were the case, then Jesus wouldn't have made a Samaritan the hero. He would have just said, then the priest came along and saw this person in need and helped, helped this person. Instead, the beaten man and the first two people who pass by are all Jewish people, every single one of them. But the one who stops, the most despised and hated, the Samaritan, he's the one. Jesus making the Samaritan the good guy is not by accident here. This is, everything that Jesus did was not by accident. He didn't stumble into messages. It was intentional. He knew what he was communicating. And I think that the temptation in this story is to assume that you and I are the good guy. And that's a, that's a temptation with every story that we read, every story that we watch, every TV show or movie. We put ourselves as a central figure, as the hero, as, as the good guy. That's just natural for us to do, because we're not the bad guys, right? We're not the villains, we're not the ones who is painted poorly, like when we watch a movie, most of the time, now sometimes it mixes a little bit more and there can be anti-heroes and those sort of things, but like uh, most of the time when, when we watch a show or a movie or read a book, it's like yeah, we're, the, we're with the good people, we're, we're the good guys, we're making the right decisions. And then it's obvious like who the bad guys are. Maybe the music changes or maybe the way that the character is described. Like we know who they are and we're like, that's not me, this is me over here. But we've lived life long enough to know that it's not like there's a line down the middle of the room and all the good guys are on this side and all the bad guys are on this side. It's not like the world is just divided and it's like the, the bad guys have scarlet letters on. That's not how this world works. But rather, all of us are capable of doing what is good and all of us are capable, capable of doing what is bad. There's no black and white in people. It's, we all can decide which side we want to go on, which direction we want to go in. And we place ourselves in the shoes of, of the Samaritan because it is obviously the right thing to do. And if we're being honest, if we're really being honest, there are plenty of times when you and I are the priest. Or the Levite. But the main point of the story is this. Get rid of your prejudice towards other people. That's truly the point of this story. We have to eliminate it. And sometimes we miss that this is the point of the story because we don't understand the hatred towards the Samaritans. To us, we don't hate them. To us, if someone calls you a good Samaritan, that's a compliment. That's a a positive thing. So we don't understand that this is really the message that Jesus is trying to get across. It's kind of like a double message. And yes, this is about helping those in need. But everyone knew that answer. I I don't think that I need to tell you that it's good to help others. Now, whether you do it, that gets back to our first point. Knowing the Bible and living the Bible is two totally different things. But I don't think that I need to stand up here and explain to you how it's good to help other people. I, I think we all get that. Now, you may say somebody else should do it, but like, yeah, it's good to help other people. And the expert in the law knew that. Because when he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, what does the law say? And he says, to love your neighbor. That's what the law says. He knew the answer. He understood it. Which, and, then, and then when he finished the story, Jesus asked him, which of the three treated the traveler like a neighbor? And the expert in the law knew that it was a Samaritan, but he wasn't happy about it. He wasn't happy that he was the one. The question for us is how can we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, hold any prejudice in our hearts towards anybody? That's truly the question. Because there are many good Samaritans who are quite different than us in many ways. And if you only think that the good Samaritans look like you, sound like you, act like you, think like you, then you are sorely mistaken. And you're no different than the expert of the law. You're no different than the Pharisees. But if you go about your life and think, I've got it figured out and everybody else is wrong. What I believe is right. What, uh, what politics I buy into is right, let me say it again. What politics I buy into is right, <sighs> oh come on, and th- let's be honest, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm not, yeah, I won't go out the open, let's be honest, right? <laughs> the people that I think people have most prejudice towards is the other political party. That's the truth. Those are our Samaritans today. Wherever you fall, guess what? I don't care where you fall, just so you know. I think that there are great Republicans who are Christians, and I think that there are great Democrats who are Christians. But the problem is the Republicans think that is impossible and the Democrats think that is impossible. And then the people in the middle are just like, you both are idiots, right? Like that's, that's the way that our world works. But here's, here's the truth. If you think, if you think because of your political affiliation that then the other side is just like going to hell and everybody who believes that way is the worst and they're trying to hurt everybody. Like there are good Samaritans everywhere and they don't look like you. They don't think like you. They don't act like you. Now it doesn't mean that everybody is a Christian. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to heaven. All that I'm saying is the point in life if you are a follower of Jesus is not to convert somebody to your political party. The point in life if you are a follower of Jesus is to point people back to Jesus in the way that you live, not in the way that you attack. And if you go about your life pointing out how terrible everybody else is who doesn't believe the way that you believe or think the way that you think, you are not making any progress. You are only doing more damage to the kingdom. More. And it is so frustrating when I look around and when I see the way that we, the church, behave. Because the truth is this. I've, I've said this so many times. I don't think I've said it in a little while. The way that the world acts, guess what? I'm not the behavior police. And if somebody acts a certain way and they don't know Jesus, then how, why would I expect them to act any other way? And if your first job that you think you should do is to change the behavior of somebody without introducing them to Jesus, you will fall flat on your face. Your job is not to change behavior. Your job is to point people to Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can change behavior. You can't, I can't. So stop thinking that we need to change the behavior of the world and start thinking, let me point them to the one who can change behavior. That's what we are called to do. And if we hold prejudice towards other people, it is so heartbreaking. See, many Christians have attitudes towards people of different skin color, of different religion, of different sexual orientation of different gender, of different socioeconomic status, whatever it may be. There are Christians who hold prejudices that they wouldn't say out loud against other people. And it's unbelievable to me that racism and bigotry and more still exist in our world today and still exist even in the church. It's unbelievable to me. So if there's any prejudice that you hold toward any individual, you are no different than the expert of the law. You are no different than the Pharisees that we see here in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You are no different. You are the villain in the story if there is any prejudice. Now, that doesn't mean that we bend a knee to everybody else. I need to be clear on that. That doesn't mean then that we just say... Because uh, sometimes we can swing the pendulum too far the other way, right? Where, where one side, it's like, no, we need to cut these people out. They're the worst. They're going to, they're going to ruin everything. They're, they're sending our, our world to hell. They're doing all these things. And then that's too far on this side. And then we swing the other way. And then we say, okay, well, if we're going to... If we want to love and accept and, and let people know that we love them, then let's just allow everybody to do whatever. And then the church is no different than the world. And then that's a problem. Here's what life is about. It's a balance of truth and grace all the time. Sometimes we need to lean a little bit more on grace for the sake of the people that we're talking to. Sometimes we need to lean a little bit more on truth for the sake of the people that we're talking to. But we have to have the proper relationship and we have to have the right discernment as to when to do both. And that only comes from growing closer to Jesus. It's the only time it comes. So I hope you're not mad at me. I hope hope that you're not upset with what I'm saying. All that I care about is pointing people closer to Jesus every day. And that's all that the church should care about. And it happens in so many different ways. But if there is prejudice there is hatred, there is times where we come along and we, and we say, oh, those people. I can't stand those people. We are no different than the world. And in some cases, the world is living more like Jesus than you and I are. But if we get up on our high horse, and if we think we've got it all figured out, We think we're smarter than everybody else. I know my Bible. I've gone to Sunday school. How many times have you gone to Sunday school, right? I know what the what the word says. I sit in church. I even read my Bible. Sometimes I even pray. Great. All those things are wonderful that we should be doing. But if you aren't applying any of it to your life, what is the point? What is the point? So the story, while it's a story about helping people in need, it's more so a story about getting rid of any prejudice that we have in our lives. Stop judging. Stop looking down. Stop excluding. Stop hating others. No matter who you are, realize that there are good Samaritans out there who do not believe what you believe. Nobody has a perfect hand nobody has everything figured out. I know that we think because we think this way because we believe in it. I know that each of us think that we've got it figured out, but nobody believes everything perfectly. Every single one of us in this room believes in something that is incorrect. Every single one of us. And if our arrogance is so big that we refuse to look at our own lives and listen to what other people have to say. And now you may say, oh gosh, but then, but then all of a sudden is somebody going to lead me down the wrong path? No, nobody leads you. Jesus leads you, or he should. But Jesus can speak to us through the lives of other people. And if we're so arrogant to just completely turn a deaf ear to anybody else because I'm smarter than everybody else, that should be a huge red flag. And if you aren't confident enough in what you believe to go and talk to other people about what they believe, then that's a red flag. When it comes down to it, we all have something wrong. It's what makes us people. So what? So what? But if you want someone to change their beliefs, I guarantee it won't happen because you held a prejudice towards them. That's a promise. Ain't nobody changing their beliefs because you hated them. It's great to know the Bible. It doesn't mean anything unless you live it. So challenge for you and I, keep an eye out for people who are in need. Keep an eye out for people who are hurting. Keep an eye out for people who are broken. Pick them up. Don't go to the other side of the street Don't just skip over them and think this is more convenient. But more than that, come alongside anybody and everybody that you can and love them. That's our neighbor. People that God places in our lives are not there by accident. Take advantage of it. Pursue them. Love them learn from them. Learn what to do and learn what not to do. Because that you're sending the same message. But please, please be the example that God has called us to be by the way that we love. That's how the world will know the church. By the amount of love that we show to others. Good or bad. It really breaks my heart that the church in general has gotten a reputation for being a place full of hypocrites. But the reality of it is, um, it's true. And it's true for our church. Because we're all hypocrites in some form or fashion. Every single one of us. We all are. But God's grace is big enough. I don't want to share our hypocrisy. I want to share the grace that God provides when my hypocrisy takes over my life. I hope you do too. So I'm going to invite the worship team up as we close. And when, as they sing, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to literally pray and ask God, God, is there any prejudice in my life that needs to be addressed. Is there anything in my life that needs to be taken care of? Is there there any way that I'm living my life that doesn't show your love to other people? Ask him and allow God to reveal it to you in your life. You know, when, when we pray for God to convict us, it can be a scary prayer because we're like, oh gosh, but I don't want to work. I don't want to change things in my life. I just want to keep going about my life the way that I'm going. And that's pretty disappointing because we should each be striving every day to be more like Jesus, more like Jesus, more like Jesus. And if you do that, if you strive every day to be more like Jesus, your life will drastically change. It will improve. This isn't prosperity gospel. This is the good news of the gospel. With Jesus, all things are good. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. Every bad and annoying gift comes from me. That's the reality of it. So ask God while we're singing. Say, all right, God. God. What prejudice do I have that needs to be eliminated? And let go of it. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.